Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. One of the rule changes they've done this year is they've lowered the temperatures that the rears can be heated to in their, um, their kind of, I was going to say wrapper. Tire blanket. <laughs> Tire blanket wrapper. <laughs> in their wrapper. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's, it's a lot of sweets. I was thinking, God, he's really knowledgeable until he said the tires in their wrappers. Race review show of the season. Each Sunday after a race, we get together as the Formula Nerds and we talk about what happened, the best bits, the controversy, who did well, who didn't, and we just natter about what we thought about the race. Um, So that's what we're going to be doing this year. As you know, we also have our midweek news show every single week called news from the nerds where we uh, give you that midweek update on what's going on in the motorsport world and when there aren't races on we bring you great guests like mario andretti crofty i mean there are loads of people who we've had and we've got loads more to come but guys the f1 2022 season has begun uh, to review this race with me we have callum been a while mate how are you uh, I'm not very happy. I'm not going to lie. The, yeah. the season's not been kind to me so far. So for for, for those that uh, maybe haven't listened to our race reviews from previous seasons, um, there's a hat on your head. And what does it say on it? Uh, it says Red Bull Racing, um, <laughs> number 33. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Okay. not in a good mood, mate. No? Okay, not so yeah, th- there's your little bit of an intro. Um, Sam? You are here for the review. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, I'm very excited. This is actually my first review. Um, it feels like I've been doing the podcast for ages, but yeah, my first one. So looking forward to it. Good. I, I know you always have an opinion or two, so this will be interesting. Um, and you, you, you are a Mercedes fan, aren't you? I, uh, I don't know what you're talking about, mate. 
long, long, long time Ferrari fan. Uh, yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Lewis uh, Mercedes fan. And we have uh, James as well. James, you are a fan of? Yeah, Lewis. So it's it's a bit outnumbered for Cal this week, but we'll try not to rub it in too much. It is. Oh, don't and, worry, and I'll, I'll take you all on. For, for those lovely listeners who write us reviews on Apple saying that we are all Lewis Hamilton lovers, we're not. We're fans of the sport. But everyone has someone they like, okay? So we're not here to be biased. We're just going to talk about what actually happened. So let's, should we just go into the build-up to the Bahrain Grand Prix, round one of 2022? Lots of talk through uh, winter testing and, and, and the practice sessions leading up to it. I mean, what, what were your sort of guys' root feet, you know, what were your real thoughts leading up until this, this, this race weekend? What, what did you think we were going to see? I thought Red Bull were going to run away with it, to be honest. Um, that was my gut feeling just from testing, particularly Bahrain testing. Barcelona was a bit more, you know, it's obviously harder to read. And yeah, uh, people were... I mean, Mercedes had a totally different car. But I thought Ferrari have looked strong, but I was just waiting for them to fall back. They've done it so many times, they've promised so much, and they're not quite delivered. Well, building on what James said about Ferrari, kind of, you know, always performing well and testing and falling back, we've always seen Mercedes say that they're in trouble and kind of, you know, kind of oh, no, this year, no, genuinely, it's, it's not going as, you know, kind of peachy as, we, as it has been. And again, I've thought, you know what? I don't buy it. I never buy it. No one ever does. But ugh, I can't believe they were actually telling the truth. Um, but yeah, I thought it was going to be Ferrari, Red Bull. I thought McLaren would be in there as well. I thought the top four would be the same, um, albeit close together. I mean, we, we knew that McLaren had a few problems coming up until this weekend, but um, we will get into how that uh, unfolded for McLaren. But Cal, did you... Did you really believe that Red Bull were going to continue that momentum from last year going into the new regs or did you initially so. no no initially and then they brought in the new sort of side pod didn't they at the end of testing and then in practice they were pretty good I thought Ferrari were the best looking car in terms of pace um, that was proven today but yeah like Sam I thought McLaren would be a bit more in the mix than they were they were terrible um, yeah, I think Red Bull, the engine itself is pretty good, apart from the obvious. Um, but straight line speed is something Red Bull have not known for, and today that it was it was good. So it's promising if they can keep it reliable. I think I think what shocked me this year, I think I said it to you guys, was every year when we have winter testing, you go, oh, oh, they're looking strong this year, and oh, they're rubbish. You get to the first race, and it's all completely wrong. Um, it sort of all was completely right, wasn't it? In, 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 in terms of what we saw, we were all thinking, ah, oh, sandbag in this. Um, you know, Ferrari won't actually be that quick, but they were. So, I mean, let's start with qualifying for the Bahrain Grand Prix. Um, it was full of shockers from the very beginning. I mean, worth noting, obviously Vettel wasn't uh, able to race, so we had uh, Nico Hülkenberg standing in. And there is no longer a, a one... Nikita Mazepin in the sport. So we had the return of the fan favourite, one of my favourites, Mr. Suck My Balls, Kevin Magnussen. Um, for those that don't know what I'm referring to, Google it. Um, but yeah. Careful I mean, how you Google it. <laughs> 
indeed. Uh, just search KMAG interview, suck my. Um, but yeah, Q3. I, I told you guys that McLaren weren't going to get out of Q3, but I, I was very shocked by who did. I mean, what did you guys make of it? What was your initial Q3? Wow. Uh, the Haas. I do I mean Q1? I do mean Q1. You, you do mean Q1, yeah. But it's fine, I'll forgive you. The the Haas was incredibly pacey. Uh, all through testing and practice sessions, we were a bit like, hmm, still doesn't look great. That's probably the one car in testing that was sandbagging, shall we say. And then it came to Bahrain this weekend and it was rapid. Um, so yeah, really chuffed to see Haas actually com- competitive. Um, yeah, that was the shock for me. And I think one nod to Hulkenberg as well, out qualifying stroll. That was cool. It's funny, for me, I always felt that Haas would be relatively competitive compared to last year. Like, you can't take a year out of developing your car and not move forward, right? That would be catastrophic for their programme. Um, so I kind of always felt that they would be you know, better and, you know, definitely Q2 calibre. Um, I didn't believe the Aston Martin kind of anti-hype, I guess, <laughs> would be the correct way of saying it. Probably not. I, yeah, I didn't believe that the Aston Martin would be as bad as they are um, until until I saw it for my, myself. I think what was interesting, and, and Cal, you called this out, was the difference between the drivers on the teams that were, it was instantly clear from Saturday. I mean, I'm just looking through the the, the, the qualifying results and you've got Latifi in last, but somehow uh, one return driver this year, Alex Albon, was 14th. How can it be that different? And, you know, a, another example there is, um, who should I choose? Bottas and Joe. Bottas and Joe Guanyu, and you know, one more example. Um, why do we think there was a big difference between the teammates? My, my sort of, in- sorry Sam, I know you're going to speak then. Mate. My initial thought was um, maybe they're still unsure of certain parts on certain cars and they're testing different bits still. Um, maybe there was a few differences on the cars. But, you know, Latifi especially was drastically slow in qualifying. I was really surprised at his pace. I think he must have had a problem with his car. Must have done, because that was really slow compared to Albon. Yeah, didn't Latifi only do one lap as well? Which implies that there was some kind of problem there, because you would have whacked on another set of softs and tried again. Um, It's difficult, because the deltas between a lot of the teammates were so large. You're kind of sitting there going, you know, who's who's up... one outperforming the car is one un- underperforming in the car. Is the delta somewhere between? I think that's probably the case with the um, the Alfa Romeo. I think Bottas is going to basically reprise his "to whom it may concern" era in a big way. Why wouldn't you? He's obviously got a huge chip on his shoulder, and so he should. And obviously, Zhou Guanyu is a rookie. He's going to take a little bit of time to kind of get used to you know the the speed in the sport or this level of competition. Um, the Alpha Tauris again I think there's a, a bit of a golfing class between Gasly and Sonoda so I wasn't surprised to see you know a good six or seven places between those two and what are we on now Bottas like 4.0 5.0 I don't know if he's got a chip on his shoulder I think I mean he's always been an amazing qualifier he's he's gone toe to toe with Lewis a lot of the time on Saturday at least so it's not a surprise to see him come in and you know absolutely 
do one over on his rookie teammate. But I mean, another in terms of the the big deltas between the teammates, it could also be there's not going to be as much data to draw on from your teammate as there will be later in the season. You know, that everyone's still getting to grips with it, and there's not. Uh, oh, you're slower through turn eleven. You've got this line. It's it's they've probably got bigger things to worry about than that at this point. Yeah, I mean, talking uh, you know Q one. The big shocker here is Danny Ricardo. Um, I mean, okay, he's had COVID. He's not been very well. He's missed time in testing. Um, but this is an ongoing trend with Danny Rick. You know, he should be able to do better things with that car, regardless of his time of testing. Maybe he was still ill. I didn't hear him say that he was still feeling effects of it. Maybe he did. Um, but that was a massive disappointment for me. Uh, not just Danny Rick, but the car he was driving as well. McLaren have seriously... Um, let us down from what we thought was coming. Oh, for sure. Like after the last three years of progress, it's, you know, very disheartening for McLaren fans to see, you know, that step backwards again. Uh, but with Danny Rick, I keep on kind of saying to him, like, give him time, give him time. Like last year, the car was quite kind of, you know, lively on entry to a corner, didn't really f- suit his driving style. But yeah, it just isn't performing. And yeah, I think the COVID does come into it and also therefore the lack of preparation. Um, but at some point you've got to look at him and say, you need to be able to turn this on on a Saturday. And he hasn't been able to, you know, consistently for a while now. Yeah, I mean, there was, there was uh, just looking at it here, that half a second between teammates in terms of their uh, qualifying one time. That, that's, that's, that's an age, you know, that, that's, that's not acceptable, is it? I, I think in new cars the few rookies thrown into the mix and like James was saying, the data, I think for now it is acceptable, but three or four races into the season, I think if them gaps are still there, then questions are definitely going to be asked hundred percent. Absolutely. So, I mean, out, out straight away, we had, um, well, the one Williams of Latifi stroll, uh, Danny Rick Holkenberg. So that's both Aston Martins out in Q1, uh, and Sonoda. Um, Going through though, with album, Mick Schumacher. I mean, both of the Alfa Romeos. This is this this isn't the F one that we knew last year, is it? No, no. I think that's kind of the point, though. Really, um, you know, with the massive regulation changes, I think uh, I'm, I'm excited. You know, I'm really excited after watching. All pretty much all of the testing and all of the practice sessions, quality. These cars are going to be really good once the teams have got the grasp on them. And I think as for McLaren as well, they've been saying about brake brake issues, haven't they? And I was watching an onboard of Ricardo and Martin Brundle was talking over it, and the car just was not turning. It was not turning at all into the corners. So there's massive issues with the front end, and obviously you you think every single corner they're losing seconds literally seconds at a time and the mercedes engine's just not where it used to be either so there's issues all around i was going to say yeah the mercedes i mean the bottom four there are mercedes i know there was a point during the race which obviously we'll get onto where the bottom six cars were mercedes i've heard rumors that potentially the new the new fuel the e10 doesn't work so well with the mercedes engine i don't know if that's just paddock rumors for the moment but it would explain a lot Absolutely. But, um, I mean, we've got to talk about the Ferraris. I think now's the time. What on earth? I mean, 
it's it's definitely working for the Ferrari engine. This E10, isn't it? I mean, like you said, like you said, James, there's a clear division here, um, and those Ferrari, you know, powered cars. So the Red Bull, sorry, the Red Bull, fuck me, the Ferrari, the Alpha, the um, the Haas. I mean, they've all just excelled, and I think we we spent so much time thinking about who's going to be better this year that we forgot to think right. Who's gonna? Who, who's that gonna displace as a result? I mean, with the Ferrari itself, I'm still struggling to work out whether they've nailed it with the aero or nailed it with the engine. I, I'm not sure where they're at either way yet. Um, I think Haas have nailed the aero, and the engine is helping them with that. But I, I still don't know whether the teams have to provide, you know, the same engine. Is that the case still? You know, because you used to, it used to be a case of Mercedes would give last year's engine to their suppliers and stuff like that. I don't know whether they all have the exact same engine still. I can't remember what that rule was. Um, but yeah, the the, air, the aero is obviously making the difference at the minute, isn't it? Rather than the engines, I think. I th- I think that the engine has to be the same. I think it is a, a a straight customer relationship. You know, very different from the kind of relationship that Sauber had with Ferrari back in the day, where they would have the, you know, the previous year's engine. Um, but in terms of the aero, quite interestingly, Gunter Seiner came out and said that, and this so shows how long that they have been working on this car. He said, yeah, the first concept we came to was the same as the, the, the Mercedes works team. And then we realised that it wasn't the right way to go. So, you know, maybe last year has put Mercedes really on the back foot because they were, you know, constantly trying to kind of, you know, keep up in the development race, um, to win the titles. Also, I think w- with the Ferraris, it looks like it's the engine to me because, you know, speaking to Craig Scarborough, he was saying that a lot of the Ferrari cars have, or Ferrari powered cars have gone with quite different philosophies for aero. So the fact that they're all competitive leans that way. I also think potentially, and I know I'm going on, that the whole kind of Ferrari engine scandal from a couple of years ago has been a blessing in disguise because I think, you know, Ferrari got to that point with, those regulations and they thought you know what we're not going to focus on making it work with these concepts we're just going to look ahead to 2022 and i think they've just you know got it working in the correct way the new the new fuel and it's just all come together at the same time you said mercedes were like wrapped up in the development war officially at least they weren't that was the whole point they were going to stop developing the car at what silverstone and focus on this year so what happened what's happened you think as well with Mercedes, the, the size of the team they have back at that factory, you'd think that they'd be able to split it and sort of say, right, one half work on next year, one half carry on focusing on this year and do well in both. The team is that big that they could probably feasibly do that. And they've just not done it for whatever reason. That engine just isn't there with them, is it, at all? I mean, there's there's no engine reg changes for this year, so it's it's technically the same engine. Obviously, they've developed that all the way through, um, but it's worth noting that that Red Bull did nick a lot of the Mercedes stuff, um, and could this be the sign of that starting to pay off? And you know, th- these aren't people who you know, who are in entry-level jobs. These are the greatest engineers on earth. Um, And Red Bull have gone, right, okay, right. We think you're good, right, we'll have you. How much money do you want? We'll double it. Um, And could could that be a sign of it? And, you know, the argument for Mercedes not being able to, you know, split between 
the 21 season and that battle and this year, Red Bull have done it. I think in some ways Red Bull's approach to taking or cherry picking staff from other teams is is genius really. Because, you know, if I personally, if I were a Mercedes employee and Red Bull came to me and said, look, you know, we're interested in you, you know, you've got loyalty to, to who you work with. The only reason you're probably going to jump ship is if you, A, get a promotion or B, they say, look, you can build something new from the ground up moving forward. This is our own powertrain. You know, you are going to be, you're going to have a lot more control than you previously did. It's very much a, a, a more equal footing with Honda. So again, I'm just speculating. I don't know what the dynamics are behind the scenes, but that could be a big draw for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the, the, uh, Mercedes strike me as a very corporate sort of structure in their racing team. And I think the Red Bull philosophy, from what I know and the people I've spoken to, is very different to that. You know, um, yes, they still have very much a structure and, and, and a hierarchy, but they're not Mercedes. Um, and, you know, they, they, that battle last year, has that just given Ferrari, you know, it, you, you two are busy playing around together. Right, now we're going to take the edge for next year. And, you know, they clearly gave up in 21. I'm very vocal about it, but clearly it's paying off already. Um, but, yeah, and let's talk about the Ferrari drivers quickly in qualifying because, I'm going to be honest, I thought it was going to be Sainz who had the edge. You know, he seems to be the talk of the town, the man of the moment. And along comes Leclerc. What are your thoughts on those two drivers, James? I think people have got a bit wrapped up in the fact that Carlos nicked it at Abu Dhabi and took uh, fifth in the standings last year. Charles was very unlucky a lot of times. I mean, yeah, some of that bad luck he, he kind of made himself with Monaco, whatever else. But Carlos is consistent. We all know that. And that will that is what gave him such a great year in his first year. He surpassed most people's expectations. But I think... Certainly on raw pace, Charles still has the edge. And Carlos was a little way off. He said it himself through most of the weekend in Bahrain. I feel like I forget that um, that Leclerc's been there so much longer than Carlos. You know, it, he's only been, what, Carlos has been there two years. This is his second year. And it just feels like, you know, they've been the boys in red for ages. It's very easy to forget um, what's happened, I feel, in F1. But... You know, like you said, James, it's it's a different picture depending on how you look at it. Sam, what, what do you take on that? I mean, I'm guilty as charged when it comes to the whole kind of the science outperforming Leclerc thing because, again, it's one of those situations where, and it was a hot take-ish until science actually went and, you know, kind of finished ahead in the standings. But you look across the season, Charles's highs are higher and his lows are lower. So James is absolutely right. You know, science is the king of consistency and that's what's got him to, you know, kind of those levels. So I think if Charles can bring it together across a season consistently, it'll be very difficult for science to compete. I'm not convinced he will though yet, but we'll have to see. It's very early in the season still. I've, I've always thought, and I know people, there's lots of Leclerc fans out there, but I've always thought Carlos Sainz is that sort of bad boy. In the team. And then you've got uh, Leclerc, who, if you pinched him, he would tell, tell the teacher about it. That's always how I've seen the two, right? And I think that's from where 
Leclerc's made mistakes and he takes things very, very personally. And, he, you know, he really is an emotional chap, whereas Carlos Sainz is more, crack on, get on with it. Um, but, yeah, it is, it is consistency. And one person we haven't mentioned, well, I mean, there's a few we haven't mentioned, but Perez. Um, again, he's been outclassed by Max Verstappen at every single, every way you look at it. Don't you think, Cal? Yeah, but I think that's to be expected. You know, there's a reason Max was world champion and not Perez. Um, Max is just in a different league altogether. But I think Perez had a steady weekend overall. You know, in the race, he was decent. They put him on a different strategy to Max. I know we're not quite at the race yet, but he did a good job. Um, and I think he did a fair job in quali as well. He was, he was consistent and um, I think he will be throughout the season. Yeah, I mean, qualifying's never really been Checo's forte. Uh, we all know it's, you know, tyres and just kind of going under the radar in the race and then finding himself back in his fourth India days, sneaking a podium here or there. This is a good chance for him to reset. He obviously, he came into Max's team. Uh, he was never going to be able to match Max last season. It was, you know, we saw so many. Well, he came into Max's team. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, did that. that's how I see it. I know, I just needed to underline that that statement because it's so right. The car the car is built for Max Verstappen. Yeah, and that's why so many other drivers have struggled so much. We've seen, yeah, Gasly and Albon fall by, fall by the wayside. And I think, yeah, Checo had some, some not great races last year, but as he got the hang of it towards the end of the season, he, we saw how much of an impact he had in the title race. And he's he was closer. He was definitely closer. And obviously, yeah, this is a car that's totally new to both of them. He was what? Yeah, within half a second, it was three tenths, I think, at qualifying. And yeah, he, he was within 10 seconds in the race and technically finished ahead of him. Yeah, I mean, when Cal said, you know, just, just now that it's to be expected that there's that kind of slight gap there. 100%, that's, that's by design. That's how the team operates. They have a very clear one-two structure. And I think Christian Hornell, as long as that delta is not too large, he's happy. And when they've had young drivers who are looking to prove themselves, who are looking to kind of, you know, you know really build their careers, that hasn't worked because the pressure's been too much. They're inexperienced and they're not happy to play that supporting role. Perez is at that point of career, his career where he knows what, what role he plays. He knows who he is as a driver. And he just wants to collect, you know, podiums and wins. Obviously, if you asked him, he'd say diff- different, but that is very much the kind of you know, impression I get. So he fits well into that team. It works. Perez is what Bottas was to Lewis. And that really sort of leads me into what my key takeaway from qualifying was before we move on to the race. Um, Valtteri Bottas in his alpha out qualified George Russell, who just took his seat in what was the number one team, kicked him out and he said, yeah, listen, mate, watch this. And, you know, Bottas, we've all had our opinions. He's not Lewis Hamilton. He he just isn't. And it was very easy to look at Lewis and Bottas and go, Bottas is not good. But he's just outperformed George Russell, who took his seat. So for me... Fair play, Bottas. That was my key takeaway from qualifying. And I, as a Mercedes fan, I actually loved it. Yeah, I mean, fair play to Bottas. Good lap. More was a good lap. But I think George messed it up, didn't he? Going into turn one. Yeah, he, he locked did. up. 
Um, so he bottled it. He tried something, didn't come off. Uh, the thing that disappointed me with George was he didn't really seem to care. Like in his interview after Quali, he really didn't seem to care that he'd messed it up. And he said, well, I'm not bothered because I tried something. I'm always going to try something. So, you know, <laughs> for me, Bottas deserved it more than George. I think Bottas wanted it more than George by the sounds of it. So, Cal, what was your key takeaway from qualifying them? Key takeaway, be Haas. Haas were quicker than anyone expected. Um, Kevin Magnussen, to, I think Gunther said today that he'd had 40 months out of F1. Uh, so approaching, may as well call it two years. Um, he was phenomenal all weekend to get back in the car and do that on short notice as well. Like fair, fair play, he showed his class. And again, that sort of goes back to my Daniel Ricciardo point, you know, K-Mag didn't have all the testing time either. So, hey-ho. James, what's your key takeaway? Sorry to leave you last, Sam. You're going to have to think of one that we haven't said. <laughs> uh, I mean, pretty simply that the Ferrari, pretty simply that the Ferrari pace was real. I mean, I was waiting, literally waiting until Q3. I was waiting for Max to just pull out another half a second. Yeah, yeah. Or Mercedes to finally put it into sport mode. Sam? You know what? Funnily enough, I didn't have either of those two as my takeaways. My takeaway is that the midfield, we still don't know and won't know for a few rounds what its true order is. It's closer than I think it was last year. And I think it's going to be more topsy-turvy as well. I think it's going to change you know, race on race, track on track. Yes, and absolutely... After qualifying, we were, we were all sitting there, right? Every F1 fan in the world was sitting there going, okay, right, right, we've seen these cars now qualifying. We've seen them under doing a bit of practice. But no one has any idea how they're going to race. Um, I have what? one more key takeaway from qualifying, and that is the fact that we were only, I think we were only about two seconds, maybe one and a half seconds even, off quality the pole lap from last year with last year's cars. So these new cars aren't actually that much slower, which was a massive shock to, I think, a lot of people. I think we were expecting three or four seconds slower. Um, we're quite close, so hopefully, you know, by the end of this season, going into next season, we might actually have the pace of last year's cars, hopefully. And we've got to this point without saying the word porpoising. How did we do that? Um, but I'm sure that will come up. Um, so let's talk about the race. Um, I had my Apple Watch on, and as the F1 theme credits came in, uh, I actually watched this race with Cal. Um, my BPM went to 125. That's how excited I was for this race. I think, Cal, you actually topped that, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't top it during the, the thing. It was more when um, there was a, a battle going on on track. We'll talk about it after, but yeah. My, my BPM did go through the roof at one point. <laughs> um, so let's talk about this race. Um, first of all, I always like to talk about the National Anthem. And for a quick summary of my review of this National Anthem, it didn't have a, a start, middle or end. It was, it was just a bit of noise that continued. You weren't sure whether it's building up, building down, and then it ended. I wasn't very impressed with it. You're, you your reviews of the national anthem i enjoyed it that was quite nice 
Do you want to share what you said at the time, Cal? I can't remember, to be honest. I can tell you what you said. Isn't it funny how people on other sides of the world dress completely different to us, is what you said. Oh, yeah. No, that was <laughs> deep. That's deep, Cal. You know, we, they were all dressed very differently to what we would consider smart over here in the West. And then where they are over there, every single person in that crowd, if you like, would have been like, God, they look dapper. And I just thought it was quite strange. But yeah, that's not F1 related. No, I thought it was worth mentioning because we are still just F1 fans, right? Um, <laughs> so the beginning of this race, do you think they all played it safe from lights out because they're like, right, cost cap, these cars are bloody expensive. We co- No one touch each other because it was the most gentlemanly beginning I've seen. Sorry, race, race start. I can recall in a long time. No drama. I don't know if it was gentlemanly. I think it was more they were giving space and respect. Um, but it was, you know, there was people trying to overtake. It wasn't a case of, right, let's follow each other around for a couple of laps and see where we go from here. It was, they were trying to race, but I just don't think anyone knew what to expect. They didn't really truly know how the cars would act behind each other. And there was a moment where there was, what, six or seven cars? in a row, all three, like, three abreast going into, I think, turn 10. And it was just, in, it was insane. Like, I've never seen that before. That was mad. I mean, everyone, F, every F1 fan on the planet held their breath uh, through the Grosjean area. Um, James, uh, did, did, did you? Yeah, I mean, I, I had the feeling that they were all going to take it a little bit easy. Like you said, no one wants to bin it and do a Mazepin three corners into the brand new era of F1 do they they're like because especially with the lack of testing in these last couple of years they need the mileage the teams need it the drivers need it so I, yeah I think you're right that they were a little bit more cautious than normal no one was going to like throw it up the inside into turn one for 12th place uh, I think there was apparently some drama with the McLarens Daniel at least I saw being interviewed about it and saying he thought there was like something to avoid, but I didn't actually see what happened to him. But they certainly, Lando ended up back down near him as well. I think that was partly because they both started on the mediums. Like, you know, obviously you're going to be a little bit worse off the line. Yeah, I think partly why there wasn't as much drama is that everyone seemed to get a fairly good getaway. Like there there wasn't that many cars travelling at a no, Cal's shaking his head. Have I just completely... Yeah. I completely... Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, well <laughs> you guys, you need, to let me, you need to let me finish because I was oh. about to say, but with one noticeable exception, and then be really predictable and talk about Bottas. Um, not, not doing very well. Not doing very well, especially <laughs> at the start. Instead of first gear, he put it in reverse, actually, at the start. It was terrible. Exactly. So I would li- I'd like the, the record to state that I was, a, I was about to mention Bottas and that is, you know, he is seemingly is the only person who kind of messed it up um, predictably. Um, but yeah, I think that's what, why the, it, it wasn't as dramatic is I think everyone did pretty well off the line. Yeah, I mean, I also thought Leclerc, right, he's going to be a little bit nervous. No pressure here, mate. But, uh, you know, you're starting on pole. You've managed to uh, mess up a few opportunities that have been similar in the past. But what a start. And... Against Max Verstappen, he knows Max is coming for that. He, in fact, he doesn't know what Max is going to do, and I, I thought he handled it absolutely brilliantly. Got away from the, got away from the line well, moved straight over, took that inside line, 
they couldn't couldn't fault it. I thought it was particularly brilliant because I think when you're racing against someone like Max, the only thing you can do is act how you think they would act. You know, match his aggression with your own. And that's exactly what Charles did. Came across, took the line. That is exactly what Max would have done. And so Max probably predicted it, you know, and, you know, therefore it didn't end in tears. But yeah, brilliant, brilliant start from him. So that's the moment where I, you know, I, I said earlier, Leclerc would, you know, tell the teacher if you pinched him. Uh, that was him proving me wrong. Absolutely loved it. Um, Lewis made up a position. I mean, we've spoken about Bottas, you know, visiting Daniel Ricciardo at the back. Um, but K-Mag, he held his own. I, I, half of me thought, were we just going to... Oh, yeah, it's great qualifying. And then he just finishes in 16th. Um, but he had his elbows out. And I loved every second of it. James? Yeah, it's great. Uh, I mean, he he tried it around the outside of Lewis for fourth, I think, didn't he? And uh, a couple of a couple of corners in. Uh, yeah, no, he, you wouldn't expect anything else from from K Mag. He's a, he's that kind of racer. Uh, and I saw him interviewed after, and he was saying like, yeah, Lewis kind of wasn't having any of it, and that's fine because I wouldn't have had any of it either. And yes, yeah, it's, it's great to have him back. It's great to have a bit of yeah. It's great to see him getting involved rather than obviously his last year. He was just him around at the back, really. What so what happened to McLaren? Um, they were terrible. <laughs> so to put it bluntly, I mean they they had a bad start. They were on the mediums, which I think was a strange choice. They were obviously trying to go long and make up positions by not pitting as often. But I think Pirelli, by the way, I just want to shout out Pirelli, they've played a blinder this year. They've clearly made the tires more degradable. They degrade a lot faster, and that's adding another dynamic to the racing. I think some drivers made four pit stops today. I have never seen so many pit stops before. And I shout out as well to the pit crews, because they were getting pretty close to last year's times, but these tyres are obviously a bit bigger and heavier, so fair play to them. They've obviously worked quite hard on that over the winter. Yeah, they weigh, what, 22 kilos, I think I heard? Imagine trying to lift that off whilst you're, you know... You got a car coming towards you, and then yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. What what weighs twenty two kilos? Just to put this into perspective, what what can you compare that to? A five year old, Kevin Magnussen's balls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so no, that's, that's one ball. It's ten. It, it's uh, yeah. What weighs twenty two kilos? Um, a bag of fertilizer. Bag of sun. <laughs> it depends how big. It depends how big the fucking bag is, right? It's, it's about... Thank you, Mister Mazepin. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> but no, that's about my, roughly the size. So my point is, it's not just a, it's not just a one-handed slap it on. It, it's they've trained very, very hard for this, like like they always have. Um, but yeah, tires count. I was very surprised by this whole tires, and it, and it does lead on from the the rule that we changed. Formula Nerds changed the rules in F1, where we moaned about the Q2. I think it was Sam. You moaned about the Q2 tire rule. They listened. They changed it. I mean, the voice we have in this sport is yeah, it's incredible. Sam, I just want you to talk about that just for a moment and the impact this had on our race or the beginning of it. Well, I actually got to uh, to speak to the head of Pirelli's motorsport division, uh, Mario Isola. Um, it was unrelated, um, but no, he did actually say that the tyres would behave similar to, similarly to how they did today, um, which I think is an improvement. 
I thought the rule change on the one case study we have worked. I thought it, you know, allowing cars to start on you know, kind of different tyres. You had some people who are on used softs, some people on new softs, and it added a little kind of element to it. Um, yeah. It was all about, do you want to eat your sweets now or later, wasn't it? Uh, that was a heck of a comment from Mr. Brundle. Absolutely loved it. James? I just, I quite like the fact that it, now it's really important to get into the top 10 again. Because in the in previous years, we got to this point where it was like, oh, 11th's a pretty good, pretty good spot. Yeah, you'd you rather 11th more than, ninth, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The strategic yeah. pole. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, what, to go back to a while ago, what Cal was saying, I think the the other thing that's probably going to help with the, the degradation is the fact they can they can now degrade, but it's not through just them being close behind. Because they when they slid in the dirty air, that was what caused the problem. That's why they, the cars were dropping back. Now the the tyres are degrading just organically. And I think that's crucial. That was a really good way to put it, actually. And what what I found interesting from almost the start was Mercedes, they clearly had some tyre issues. Lewis was very aggressive at the start. And I thought, ah, yes, this is what I've been waiting for. Um, And then after the sort of lap four, it was off off into, you know, dropping back, 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 back. But the tyres... They, they reacted differently for everyone. And when Lewis put the hards on, the first pit stop, I believe it was, it was Lewis, and put those hards on. And suddenly he had no traction. And to see Lewis, who is the, was the tyre master, come out, overshoot the braking zone, then, uh, you know, put his foot down, back end comes out. I thought, ah, yes, this is exciting. And get overtaken by Joe. Yes. Of all people. Exactly. Well, as well, you know, what they've, one of the rule changes they've done this year is they've lowered the temperatures that the rears can be heated to in their, um, their kind of, I was going to say wrapper. Tire blanket. <laughs> Tire blanket wrapper. <laughs> in their wrapper. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's, it's a lot of sweets. I was thinking, God, he's really knowledgeable until he said the tires in their wrappers. But yeah, so as I was, <laughs> as I was saying, that clearly had an impact with Lewis. It was a step into the unknown. I think he was actually technically the first person to pit. I think Alonso came in behind him on the same lap. So yeah, I wouldn't, well, I wouldn't be surprised. Obviously, all the other teams are looking at that and they then said to their drivers, FYI, this is going to happen. Be careful into turn one. So we saw less going on, but yeah, Lewis was on skates. Bold prediction from Merck there, but just a little bit later than that is when... We had some excitement. And what I would consider the best racing of 2022 so far. Cal, uh, what what happened? Um, This is where my heart rate went up. The so so did so did your uh, your back. You you literally went straight back, started making noises. And Cal Cal, by the way, is this person he's not like me. I jump up and down, scream shout. Cal very rarely shows a facial expression during a race, right? But you did at this point. <laughs> yeah, I was quite apprehensive, shall we say. I mean, going down the pitch straight into turn one, Max and Charles had a great battle. What was it, over three or four laps? Um, they just kept on going at each other. And then into turn four, Charles were getting back. 
There was a couple of moments where we thought Max might make this stick and Charles just came back at him. And it was fantastic racing. It was all fair. There was no question about any of the moves being unfair or unsportsmanlike. They gave each other the room and it was just fantastic racing. The fact that the cars could follow each other for that long, all right, it lasted for three laps because I think Max went a bit too hard on his tyres and his brakes, I think, started getting hot as well, but fantastic racing. Yeah, it, the DRS was just about doing enough. I mean, it was maybe a little bit overpowered on the, the main straight, but like we are saying, maybe that's just the, the Honda, not Honda, Red Bull, powertrain, whatever, engine, because he was rapid. He was coming from so far back in the last, you know, 500 metres. It was frustrating last year watching Lewis just repeatedly, obviously going with his, his mantra of just gets to finish, you know, live to fight another day against Max. It's nice to see, yeah, someone kind of, really handing it back to him. And I particularly enjoyed that bit where, Charles, like I think in the first tete-a-tete, Charles, like, Charles, rather. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I live in Paris. I can't be saying yeah, Charles. Yeah, it's called Charles, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Charles Leclerc. <laughs> Charles came, like, just nipped in front of him just as they got into the breaking zone. Breaking zone. I thought that was neat. Yeah, and and a, a, a podcast, a, a podcasting friend of ours, um, has called these Fiats because of their performance over the last few years. We're, these are now Ferraris, right? And what I, what I just thought was, in fact, I'm still scratching my head over this. Is why was Max Verstappen so non non Max Verstappen like? He was very. He gave him space. He didn't ram him off the road. He... Who, who, who's this guy? I think there, it was a different Max Verstappen today, wasn't it? Mm, I, mm. I don't know whether he's fully comfortable with the car yet. Um, and by the way, I like this. I'm, I'm giving this as a compliment to Max that there was no part of any of this where you could go, oh, oh hang on a minute. This was racing by definition, right? Yeah, I think he's still discovering what the car can do. He's finding the limit still. Obviously, he tested the brakes quite well today. Um, there was a lot of Daniel Ricciardo-esque late lunges going on, and brilliantly so as well, I must add. But uh, yeah, I think he's just finding the limit. Give it three or four races, and I think we'll have him back to how he normally is, to be honest. I think that depends entirely on who he's racing against. I think if it's Lewis... I think you get Max of last year. I think yeah. it is. Do you think and that? I do. I do because I think, and I, and I think it started long before last season. Lewis was so dominant that I think everyone on that grid, if in Max's position, would want to get their elbows out, feel like they had to be ultra aggressive to kind of, you know, compete at that level. And I think as the season went on, as the narratives grew, as it got more controversial and tense, I think we saw Max getting more and more and more um, aggressive. But mm. now the roles are reversed. Max has nothing to prove. He has a world championship. He's racing against Charles Leclerc. And all of a sudden, Max, at what, 24 years old, is the elder statesman. He's the one who holds the principles, holds the maturity in terms of racing there. I know, I can't believe I'm saying it, <laughs> but but the roles are reversed. Whoa. And I think you saw that today. No, we did. We, I'm just surprised that you, you said you think we get the aggressive Max to Lewis, but he doesn't need to do that with Leclerc. And, and Cal, I'm coming to you, but the, 
the result of this great battle was Max did not retain the lead. So, Cal? No, I, I don't agree that it's just Lewis who he gets his elbows out with. I think he will do that to anyone who's trying to get past him. At the end of the day, he wants first place and he'll do anything to get there. And I think, he, like I said before, he's just finding the limit of that car. Once he's found it and he's comfortable with it, you'll see his elbows flying back out. 100%. That's just his driving style. He wouldn't have changed his driving style over winter. It just it wouldn't happen. Yeah, I, I agree with Cal mostly. I think he maybe goes a little harder against Lewis, or certainly did last year, because he knows that Lewis will avoid the contact as well. And a lot of the, the most extreme versions of it was when he was on the back foot and he knew Lewis had to get past. So it was more in his interest. It exacerbated the, the natural aggression that Max has. So uh, I've just found an interesting an interesting little nugget of information online. Um, during this battle, F1 did a little vote, right? Who is going to win? And this is when they were going neck and neck. Um, 62% was one driver, obviously leaving 38% to the other one. Um, who do you think the fans thought at that moment, during that battle, who do you think they thought was going to win? Max. You're wrong. <laughs> For the record, I say that a lot. I shook my head then. <laughs> yeah, but you're not wrong with this, aren't you, mate? So. But you're shaking I, I everything wanna, here. I just want to be right. <laughs> so everyone thought, right, Leclerc's got this. And for me, when I saw Max Verstappen coming, I thought, right, it's either tears or Max will take the lead. But that's where we agreed to disagree, right? I don't know. I mean, I, I thought it could go either way watching it. For the record, I think the reason I expected the fans to say that is because, I mean, how many drivers, driver of the days has Max got? I just figured everyone in the Netherlands has, you know, a bunch of ghost accounts that they just log in and do all these votes for. I think as a, as a Max fan, I quite like it when his back's against the wall and he, he is the underdog. I feel like he performs better in that situation. Um, and I, I, I sort of hope that on the whole, the Ferrari's a little bit better than the Red Bull because I feel like we get the proper Max Verstappen when that's the case. Um, and I think today as well, his head was gone. He, his head rolled massively. He was stressed. He was not comfortable throughout most of the race. And I think... The Ferrari pace shocked him, and I think he wanted to come in as world champion, win that race. That's what he was telling himself all winter, and this has happened, and it's made his head go. Just so before I can sort himself out for next week. Just before I go to you, Sam, on the Max Verstappen's head was not in the right place. The FIA did put out a rather damning report just before the start of this weekend that's bound to have affected him in some way. Don't you think, Sam? I don't. Oh, Because... I think that whilst it kind of, you know, tiptoed towards placing blame at you know, certain people's feet or tiptoeing towards admitting there was mistakes made, I think Max is a receptive, perceptive enough person um, to know the reality of how he won the championship last year. And that's not taking anything away from him. He earned that over you know, 22, 21 to 22 races. But he knows that had it not been for that instant, had it not been for things transpiring the, the way they did, the result would have been different on the day. So I don't think it really changed much for him. I think he's not necessarily in his comfort zone at the moment because he's got a target on his back for the first time in his career. 
he hasn't ever won a series until last season. So he's not used to being a champion yet. And he's not used to being the one that everyone's gunning for. I find that really interesting. Uh, I, I find those those different thoughts really interesting. I mean, Cal, as the Max Verstappen um, fan, I, 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 I'm, this wasn't the same Max Verstappen who went into the beginning of that Abu Dhabi race. This was a, a very different Max. It's, it, you could almost feel anxiety coming out of his skin. Yeah, I think I do. I don't think his head was in the game. I think you know maybe a little bit of pressure finally got to him. You know, being a world champion that naturally would bring some pressure to perform. And you don't know what goes on behind the scenes. He's been Red Bull's golden boy for well since he got the seat. So maybe Helmut Marco sort of said to him, "Right, you're a world champion now. You need to perform week in week out. There's no silly mistakes. You." We, we need to win again this year. We want a constructors this year. And maybe that pressure's been put on him. You could argue maybe that Max didn't deal well with the pressure at the end of last year. And we know that the Merc, the Merc, we know that the Merc took a step forward for, yeah, the last four races. But, I mean, until, yeah, the last lap of Abu Dhabi, Max wasn't there. He wasn't where he needed to be. There's also the argument that maybe they've stupidly taken their foot off the gas a little bit once they've realised that Mercedes weren't there at the forefront. Um, that's always, you know, a possibility. They've always seen Mercedes as the team to beat. Maybe once they've realised, right, well, we're beating Mercedes, there's nothing else to worry about. I do think Ferrari's pace has definitely shocked Red Bull this weekend. I think Christian's so obsessed with beating Toto at this point, he just doesn't care. He's just got a picture of him on his wall and he's just going, yeah. Sam, just I know you're so dying to say it, but I just need to credit you for a joke you made during uh, Q3, which was um, Toto, when George Russell went out in front of him for his calling lap. Anyway, go on. Spelt T-O-E, T-O-E, just yes, for sorry, the listener, because yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that wasn't a joke. No, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, 100% learning on the mistakes they made in Abu Dhabi there where they sent Lewis out by himself. Um, Yeah, I think a few things here. I said before on the podcast that actually I think Max was lucky given the end of the season. I said that he bottled it in the last few races. I think he did. And I think, you know, it could be him trying to recover from that, you know, get himself in the right headspace. Um, But also, yeah, I just, I think there's so much change the order isn't as it was. The cars are completely different. It's a it's a lot to deal with. And as I said before, he's a champion a champion for the first time. But I think it was quite telling that he was still kind of poking fun and making jokes about Mercedes. He still sees them as the rival. He needs to adjust. If he doesn't adjust, he's going to mentally not be able to get himself in the right space to fight Ferrari. You've you've nailed it. I'm not sure if if everyone's sort of been pointing at this, but a little light bulb just got in my head that, you know, Max was fighting. He, he, he's learned through a certain era of F1. He mastered it. He won. He's back at the beginning now, really, in terms of, right, okay. It's almost like going into a different series. In a strange, you know, in terms of cars-wise, you've got to readapt to it again. James? I think it's maybe, I don't know, he probably feels more separated from Lewis in a way. They're different generations 
he comes in as the underdog. Like you say, you know, Lewis is the seven-time champion. So many people were rooting for Max just because they wanted a change. It's different against Charles. They've grown up together. They're the same age. Now maybe Charles the underdog. Yes, I quite like that. And again, uh, you know, we, we've spoken about pit stops, but Max was a bit agitated about pit stops, wasn't he? And his outlaps and being told what to do. This this was when I sort of realised we've got an unhappy Max here. Yes, he's fighting for the lead, but... And at that point, I think he still could have, you know, I, I was still of the belief he could win that race. But uh, I quote, Okay, this is two times now I've taken it easy on the outlap. I could have easily been in front. I'm never, ever doing it again. Ooh. Yeah, I, uh, I think, you know, it's very easy to point the finger at your strategists and the guy in your ear when it's it's not worked out. So he said after the race as well, he thinks he could have taken the lead if he'd have pushed a bit more on the outlap. But, you know, that's ifs and buts, isn't it? We don't know for sure. So I think maybe next, the next race in Saudi Arabia, if the same thing comes up, they'll try it Max's way. And if it doesn't work, then they've got the point proven, haven't they? They did the right thing. So I just think the Ferrari was too quick today. I think Christian said it after the race that even if Max had pushed on his outlap and taken the lead, Ferrari would have caught up and overtaken him anyway at some point. Um, that's what he needs to bear in mind. Ferrari are quick. They're going to have to figure out a way to stop them. I think strategy is going to be the way to do that. Yeah, I, I totally agree with Cal there. That, or, you know, by extension, uh, Christian Horner, um, that Ferrari were just better today and it would have all come out in the wash uh, regardless. I think with strategy... Red Bull have much more recent experience of winning a championship. They know how to fight in those scenarios. So Ferrari, I reckon, will be the ones potentially making mistakes there, which they need to capitalise on. And But also on that kind of anxiety, Ollie, that you're talking about, you know, hearing from Max, I think potentially, you know, very early on in the race, they're saying, you know, you need to call your brakes. You know, you, there's there's issues here. You need to manage the car. So that's obviously not going to help the situation. But also... They've worked with this this powertrain for months and months and months. They know the limits. They know where there are problems. I think that he was potentially worried about later on in the race. I think he was anxious about how it was all going to pan out. So, yeah, you saw a kind of very unnerved version of him today. I did want to talk about strategy because Jeff Bezos is, is a successful man and he runs a company called Amazon, which seemed to know everything about F1. But they didn't today. What we saw before the race was essentially a two-stop strategy for all teams. That that's that's the best way to do this race. I I don't I don't know if anyone did a two-stopper, but I think this is testament to Pirelli, and I think we've seen it in F three, in F two, and now F one this weekend. These tires are performing in different ways than anticipated. So, for example, in the F two, the kind of prime tire was really not competitive in the feature race. And the soft was, the soft was the, the tire to be on, for even for a longer period. And you saw people actually having shorter periods on the, the prime and longer periods on that kind of soft option. So throughout the categories this weekend, there were surprises thrown up by the tyres. Just to caveat my previous comment, I believe there would have been a fair amount of two stoppers 
if later events hadn't happened. Um, but what I really, what I learned was that Mercedes, they had really no idea what to do. And you saw them chuck on the hards. They came back. They took them off too early, in my opinion. I thought, right, okay, we've got problems here. Um, I, I, I've not been a massive promoter of Pirelli. And yes, I love Mario Solo. And, you know, he's a friend of the Formula Nerds. But they, Pirelli have really buggered up a lot of good races um, and, and caused issues where there shouldn't have been issues. But I loved the teams not having any idea where to go with this and trying different things. And it's a new dimension, right? It's, it's almost adding that refueling in at, at this stage in, in this uh, regulation change. James? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's the unknown. It's great. It's, it's the same as when the teams don't get any Friday practice because it's rained or something. It always mixes things up and it's always more interesting. And I, yeah, maybe they should just take a, a surprise selection of tyres and not tell them which it is, do away with the colours and then see how they get on. And take it out the wrappers on the day, yeah. <laughs> so this was turning out to be an exciting race because we haven't had F1 for a while. 16 weeks, I think, give or take. 19 days. Okay. And um, we also hadn't seen these cars in action. But let's be honest, it started to become a little stale towards the later stages of the race. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Ollie. Um, it was starting to get a little bit kind of predictable. I think the, the field spread had, at that point, kind of meant that everyone was set into a groove. You know, the Mercedes were just in, in a kind of no man's land. Um, and the Ferraris and Red Bulls had kind of formed their little pattern of kind of, you know, one, two, one, two. The midfield actually was probably where the, the most fun was being had at that stage. So this is lap 46 of 57. 20 cars still in the race. New regulations, new season. I was quite impressed with that. All the drivers still going. And then we have a fire, which seems to be a theme in Bahrain. Um, and by the way, just shout out to the... Um, Something I've forgotten to mention is, did anyone notice that um, the, 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 the graphic with the lap times disappeared for a good six, seven laps? And I, I was very unhappy about that. I did notice. Also, on the, on the subject of the graphics, you really like them, right? The new ones? I think when they work or they are actually present, you get a driver name, what tyre they're on, lap times all in one graphic where it doesn't have to change or put up different ones so yes the answer is yeah I'm not really a fan I oh, see when it works it works go on Jay. I, th I think I mean they've they've done away with the the coloured logos the small thing but it makes it a little bit trickier to, to find the teams it's a full full name rather than the three letters before which it didn't need to be we all know who ham is don't we like no but not the drive to survive generation and i, I truly sort of believe that's who it's for yeah that could potentially be it i don't know the whole thing like the the caps lock italic i i don't think it's an improvement i think they they got rid of the uh or they they made it more opaque as well the certainly for qualifying the the timings and suddenly it was like you were watching on an old four by three ratio tv again yeah, interesting. See, I, I like it. I like the level of information that's provided. I agree with James, the aesthetics could be somewhat 
uh, refined. Um, but yeah, it seems to be a little bit temperamental. Sky have had problems with this all day. In the F3, it started throwing drivers all over the place. Um, By the way, the timing sheets. this is not Sky. It's a direct feed from the FIA. Just because we have friends who work for Sky. Okay, okay. I take that back. Fair enough. Well, the FIA then um, have had problems with this all day. Um, so they need to get that sorted out. I also don't like how when there's a safety car or when they're showing the kind of the delta between two cars, it pushes the the, t- the guys lower down off the screen. Yes, and you, so you think they've retired. In- Suddenly you yeah. think they've... Yeah, I did anyway, yeah. Yeah, it's... I don't know, it just looks a bit clunky. Um, but on that note, the AMG safety car came out and I, I'm doing AMG in um, air quotes because it made it very clear on the graphics that it was an AMG safety car. Um, our friend Bert Mylander, if you don't have a podcast with him, go back and have a listen. It's absolutely wicked. But this new safety car, oh man. I, I've never seen anything as good looking as that in my life. Thoughts? It's stunning. It really is. Uh, all the lights and everything on it as well. It worked really well. It was sort of like the perfect looking safety car. I think Aston Martin are gonna, is going to look terrible compared to that, to be honest. Last and year, the Aston Martin looked great. And I think this year, the Aston Martin might look a bit of a, a bit crap to the <laughs> Mercedes, to be honest. Sam? I, I don't like the colour. I know I sound like a five-year-old, but like, I like the red car. Or in this case, I don't like the red car. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just, I want a Mercedes to be silver. Um, I want the safety car in general to be silver. Um, and that is as far as my thoughts on the matter go. Okay, it might, might go a little further. Sorry, this is not called the safety car, no, it's a podcast. But um, the light bar, no longer present on the top of the car. They had the, the undercover police car type uh, lights, uh, sort of uh, below the winds, below the roof, if you know what I mean. Um, I loved it. It was, it was one of my favourite parts of the race, to be honest. I thought it looked absolutely wicked. And what I didn't like was the lengthy explanation of how the safety car works following events last year. It was like, yeah, okay, we know that safety car comes out, drivers go behind it, some have to overtake, and then we crack on. There was a lot of talking about what the safety car rules are from that What I found really annoying is on social media during the race, when they were going through this kind of, you know, talking about the safety car, people were like, oh, now they know, you know, the rules and oh, now it's going to... It's like, well, yeah, that was the whole point of the whole issue, right? No wonder they're talking, like, they, they are going to obviously clarify at this stage. So people were kind of using it as this, like, gotcha. And it's like, no, it's not a gotcha. Like, we know there are problems there. We know that hopefully they fix them. Yeah, this was a, we listened, this is what we've done about it. Cal? I think fair play to them for, for actually stating that. I think what you touched on before with the, the new generation of fans that have come through, I think we're going to have to sort of spoon feed information to these new fans for the next couple of seasons. Um, I think it's it's good that they clarified it as well because a lot of fans were confused at the end of last season. I think some still are. I was very confused as to what the actual rule was. Um, so I'm glad they've cleared it up, to be honest. To be honest, I really don't mind during a race, and they do it every race, where they kind of say, you know, if this is your first race, you know, kind of welcome to Formula One and kind of, you know, talk through some of the kind of more basic stuff. And they will go over themes over and over again. 
over you know, the course of a season. It's good housekeeping. You can't assume that so, that the audience is just the exact same however million people who watched it last week or the season before. So I don't mind that at all. And it's always a good refresh because there's so much to know about this sport. You're always going to forget something. Absolutely. And the reason that the safety car was out, beautiful car, no light bar, you know the deal, was because a certain um, car had set on fire. Um, Gasly's car, Renault-powered engine, on fire. Uh, sorry, Honda-powered engine, on fire. Red Bull-powered engine. No, they're Honda. No. The no, U-turned. No. Well, I mean, it's they're not listed as Alpha Tauri Honda anymore. It, I mean, as much as it's a Honda, it's not officially a Honda. It's, it's the Red okay. Bull powertrain, isn't it? So the the reason that the safety car was out was because the car set on fire, um, and I was a bit disappointed of how long that car sat there for. I think it was about five, six laps, maybe seven. Um, Number one, a shame for, the, you know, the Red Bull family that this car was on fire and a sign of other things to potentially come this season. Um, and a shame for Gasly. Cal? Yeah, I think the reason it was sat there for so long is because I think it was an electrical issue as to why the car conked out. And then obviously the engine was really hot and caught fire because it was just sat still. But I don't think they were positively sure as to whether the car was still live or not. And obviously, as a safety thing, they can't touch it because they'll just die. So, you know, they've got to be care- be careful with that. I know it was only like six feet away from being rolled to safety, but you've just got to make sure, haven't you, I suppose? There, there was a marshal. I'm not sure if any eagle-eyed viewers caught this, but a marshal who did that is this hot test and sort of walked over from a distance and put his finger on it. Um, Sam? I feel like there was a, a, a practice session last season when Vettel's car was still, you know, quote-unquote live. And then it sit there for like best part of an hour because they just couldn't verify that it was safe to remove. So, you know, it, it could have been a lot worse. I mean, that is it hot test does not work with live F1 cars. He, no. he would have died. It doesn't matter if you touch it for a split second, you just die. That's why I thought they cut the feed because you just saw him walking over with his finger out. I thought... Uh oh, surely this isn't protocol. Um, but yeah, shame for Gasly. Um, you know, he, uh, Gasly is one of the, uh, what I would call the talents in F1. He, he didn't have the greatest start to his career, but it's a shame. And it's, it's a shame that this was a sign of things to come. So I believe it was during the safety car period, Max Verstappen, by the way, we had lots of pit stops, but we won't go through all of that. Max Verstappen uh, had one of these pit stops, came out of the pits saying that his steering had gone a bit strange, didn't he, Cal? Yeah, I think, I think the top and bottom of it is that when the car was dropped, they might have knocked a trap rod end, which affects your steering. So his steering was super heavy, I think going from right to left, I think. Don't quote me on that. Um, or left to right, I'm not sure. Either way. When turning one direction, it was a lot harder to steer than the other way. So that was his problem. He still went on to set a fastest sector time on that outlap. So I don't think it was too much of an issue for him. It was more what followed that was the issue, wasn't it? Mm, post-race, he said that the reason that his 
restart when the safety car went in was so poor was because the car wasn't responding correctly to his steering input. Uh, I slightly disagree. I think it's because he was in the wrong part of the track when uh, Leclerc st- decided to bolt. Don't you, James? Yeah, 100%. Uh, there, was yeah. Nothing, there was nothing wrong with the steering when he put his foot down. He was going in a straight line and he was, yeah, on the inside of the track for a, the final corner. Yeah, pointing in a different direction to Leclerc and he wasn't ready. Absolutely. I'm glad I'm glad it wasn't just me that noticed that. Leclerc played a blinder there, to be fair to him. He nailed that restart to the point where Sainz was actually nearly getting Verstappen. So yes, we had the safety car and we had a race restart, essentially. Um, but this is where it all went a bit sour. Um, nothing really happened during the safety car restart, did it? We were all thinking, oh yeah, you know, it's the start of the F1 season again. Um, no, I don't think anyone changed position during that uh, restart, did they? Not significantly. No. But then there was a disaster. Yeah. Um, again, the heart rate, heart rate went up here. Um, basically, they're coming down the... Oh, where was it? It was a straight before the final turn. So they're coming down there, and then all of a sudden we see Max Verstappen going backwards through the order. He had issues with the energy store, I think. Um, it looked like the car was constantly harvesting energy because the lights started flashing, but they were just constantly flashing. Yes, he said his battery, and then the team said, there's no problem. He said, yes, there is. Yeah, so obviously they're a hybrid car, so the battery has a big influence on how much power you're getting out of that car. It, It just fell apart, really, and he had to pull into the pits and retire. I quote, he said, what the... F U star star is this is what he said over team radio James it's it was, GP said it wasn't the battery he said it's something else and there's nothing we can do right but I don't know what the something else was because like Cal said it it looked like it was the battery and the engine harvesting has anyone I, got any ideas I think uh, you, you, uh, they, uh, post race they've said that this was most likely the same problem that um, shortly followed. Um, but they didn't look like the same to me because Max came straight into the pit. Well, he managed to get back into the pit, so it didn't look like the car was dead. So I don't think Red Bull really know what no, that they don't. problem was. Um, well, I mean, of course, they don't know for sure, but the two didn't look particularly related. Yes, the time was similar, but... I mean, different, Christian, very Christian different. said afterwards that they're going to have to look into it. They didn't know. And to be fair to Christian, he's usually pretty open with that sort of thing when they have an issue with the car. Um, but yeah, last lap, same thing happened to Perez, didn't it? it the engine sort of looked like it seized, actually, going mm. into turn one on the final lap. And then it just spun him around and that was it. He was sat there like, a, you know, couldn't do anything. I mean, just to just to just to repaint the picture here, if you've lost where we are, this is this is right at the end of the race. This is lap what fifty four, fifty five. You've got Leclerc in the lead. You've got Max Verstappen in second. You've then got the Ferrari of Sainz and Perez. Max drops out. Oh no! Perez drops out. Oh no! Sam. <laughs> See, it's funny, I think, and this is, I think, says a lot about Lewis's relationship with the second Red Bull drivers. 
I just assumed that Lewis had tapped him round when I first saw it. I thought, oh, that's, that's Lewis being Lewis there. With, uh, <laughs> I, I thought Perez had binned it. It's what I thought. Oh, really? I, I see. I just, I think maybe I'd looked away for a second and just see Perez kind of, you know, as, as a sitting duck in the middle of the first. Yeah, corner. they didn't show it. They didn't show it because I thought I blinked as well. But no, all we saw was it was probably Ricardo. It was probably the back runner, the, the, the you know the back runners, and then you just see Perez pointing the wrong way, which is when my neighbours found out about what was going on. But uh, an utter disaster for Red Bull Racing today. And this was the, the the last double DNF cow. Was it Austria 2020? Yeah, and that was obviously the, the season during COVID. Austria was actually the first race of the season then. So, yeah, since then they've been pretty reliable. But obviously it, it is technically a new powertrain. Um, and to be fair, I think when we sort of came into the hybrid era, even Mercedes had a few issues with their engines and they were getting a few DNFs here and there through reliability. So it's just teething problems. I'm not particularly worried about it as a fan. I think they'll sort it out and get it sorted. But it's the same engine. This is the point I made earlier, which is, and I think Max made afterwards, this this is not acceptable. Sam? We've seen Red Bull start slowly before, like as Cal said, 2020. Yeah, double DNF in the first race of the season. Last year, Perez, on the way to the the grid on the warm-up lap, had engine issues. So I think, unfortunately for Red Bull, they do have this in their wheelhouse. And reliability aside, in the hybrid era, their seasons have been categorised by having slow starts performance-wise as well. So I think really they just, you know, broke the mould a little bit last year. Um, And this is kind of... Part of their DNA in some way. But I this- think the advantage. Sorry, I think the advantage Red Bull had last year is the fact that all the cars were the same as the season before, because this year's regs were delayed, so it was all the RB thirteen or whatever it was B. Um, so they already had a year's knowledge of that car, and that's why they got the fast start. I think historically, you're right. They they do tend to start quite slow, don't they? But this was 30 points for Red Bull dropped in the last five laps, right? This is a... Dis- I didn't. I don't use the word disaster lightly. This was a utter disaster. Sorry, Cal, I can see your face when I keep saying the word disaster and Red Bull in the same sentence. Um, but what are, they, what, what are they going to take from this? And I've completely forgotten what I was going to say. Well, what they'll take from it is they'll they'll lick their wounds, but they'll take solace in the fact that they are obviously competitive. So I think that they will publicly downplay it. But I think, yeah, it is absolutely the worst way they could have started the season and there will be a lot of work going on. But I think they'll still have a kind of quiet, calm kind of demeanour about them. I say that as calm and quiet as Red Bull ever are as a brand, as a a team. Quiet and calm are not the two Um, words that come to mind. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I think that, I don't think they'll be too worried long term. And this wasn't losing 30 points, you know, in the mind of Max Verstappen, this was giving Lewis Hamilton a podium, promoting George Russell to fourth, right? This was a chain reaction. And Mercedes, let's be honest here, Lewis didn't deserve, well, he wasn't en route to third. Um, He was gifted it. Mercedes got lucky. But one fact I found which just blew my mind is in throughout the entire of last season, Lewis did not have 
this much of an advantage in points over Max throughout the entire of last season that he does now. I'll just let that That's sink insane. in. It's insane, isn't it? That is a great start. Yeah, 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 last like, year... Sorry, Sorry Carl. Uh, I'm joking. Yeah, but la- the last year, the Mercedes was actually competitive. So I feel like in some ways that's comparing apples and oranges. Yeah, but it's still an amazing stat that Lewis never had this advantage over Max throughout the whole of last year. And Oh, for sure. And maybe that's that's why... Stop looking at Mercedes. You need to be worrying about Ferrari. I think they will be now. You know, or they should be. If they're not, they're stupid. And they're 44 points behind immediately after one round. 44. It's a curse, isn't it? Even when Lewis hasn't got the best car, he still finds a way to curse him. <laughs> From a psychological perspective, the best thing Red Bull can do now is use that to create the narrative internally at the team that they are the underdog. They are playing catch-up. Use that for the rest of the season. Even if they take overtake Ferrari you know, at the midpoint or before, they've got to say they started strong. They're still the ones to beat. They've, they've, they've got to use this now. And I think they can, you know, they're an incredibly well-oiled machine. Absolutely. And I think we, we, we've focused on the DNF because of an engine failure. Drivers make mistakes, you know. Max may not finish a race because of his own fault. Maybe a tyre blowout. Maybe Lewis will put his brake magic on again. You know, the season is a long season. Um, reliability is just one of those extra things you just do not need added into that mix of potential reasons things can go wrong. But it was Leclerc who took what I would say a fantastic victory. He didn't cruise into the distance. He had to fight for it. Ferrari had to work for it. The pit stops, the strategy. Um, He got driver of the day from F1. We will go on to our drivers of the day in a minute. But in terms of a performance from Leclerc and Ferrari this weekend, I mean... What do you guys think? Did, did they just have the best machinery or, or, or do, do you think Leclerc earned that? No, he definitely earned it. He had challenges from the world champion throughout the race two or three times. So, And there's that pressure on him all the time. He was never more than four or five seconds behind him. He was always breathing down his neck. So Charles was brilliant, absolutely deserved it. And yeah, it's been, what, two and a half years since he won two races in a row in 2019, when they had the the rocket engine, it's been a long time. He he came close at Silverstone last year, but you know he, he kind of winning to habit, they always say, and it's been a while for him. So it was pretty much flawless. He dealt with Max and didn't put a, didn't put a foot wrong. Also, the best reference is always your teammate, and he was a cut above Carlos today. Absolutely. And again, Red Bull's failure gave Ferrari a 1-2 on the opening race of the season. I mean, if there's not a better way to start a season than that, I don't know what there is. Um, So whilst, you know, Sykes was en route for a P3 and he got a P2, I think it, it, it gives us a very good representation of what that team is all about. Do you think Ferrari can keep this going? I mean, that's a question that no one knows the answer to, but do, do you think that they've got that that mentality now that, right, this is actually possible? Because we've seen Ferrari start great in many seasons, you know. I think the Vettel versus Hamilton seasons. Um, 
but then they always drop off. Uh, I think, yes, they can. And I think because of what Charles said during the race, he was on to team radio and he was saying to the team, calm down, Max has still got his good softs yet. We're on them now. Like, keep your heads. It's a long race. If he's going into the season with that sort of attitude, then 100% they can do it. If they're going to not get carried away and keep their feet on the ground, then yeah, there's no reason why not. Before we go into the sort of the the, the, the finishing, uh, you know, and the points and who was our driver, one person that we haven't spoken about at all is George Russell. What did you guys make of George? This was his debut for Mercedes. And I, I, I don't think I could even put a sen- sentence together about his performance today. I think he gained five positions in the race, but obviously two of those were gifted. Um, I don't know, I thought it was pretty bland. I really didn't, he didn't set the place alight. There was no real fireworks there. There was no real... Did he do anything? I can't even think of any overtaking. It wasn't spectacular by any means, but I think, you know, it's a steady start in a new team. So, fair enough. Yeah, I think I think he had a, quite a good start. I seem to remember within a couple of laps, he was with his peers, shall we say. Um, so he did what he had to do, which I think at Mercedes is a, a big kind of plus for them because I think for a while they've kind of needed a second driver who will do that. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a, a fairly kind of Blair um, weekend for him in general. He made a few mistakes. And then, as you said, Ollie didn't seem to care all too much. So he made mistakes. Um, and I think, yeah, he just was a bit in a no man's land for a lot of the race. He was on event four. Maybe that's, you know, maybe that's because of that. And he actually was performing well. Who knows? Mm. I mean, other than Spa, this was his best career finish, right? It, and the man had n- no positive emotion. James? Well, there's two ways of looking at it. It was... It seemed a bit underwhelming, but I think that's because people are, you get some people who hype him up, like to a ridiculous extent. And then because of that, you get a lot of people who have been waiting to hate on him. And I know like even uh, amongst our group in the Formula Nerds, there are quite a lot of people who he seems to to rub up the wrong way through his, you know, polished PR persona or whatever. I don't really mind him personally. I'm, I'm kind of waiting to make my mind up now that he's in the forefront. We'll see his true colours, I think. It wasn't a great look with slapping Valtteri last year. But yeah, it was the other way to look at it is he came into a team where he's up alongside the seven-time world champion and he finished right behind him. Yeah, it was a safety car. But he was with him for the most part. It's a pretty solid debut. He did what he had to do, Williams. right? <laughs> he, yeah, it, was, it wasn't terrible at all. Yeah, so that's the thing. Like, yeah, everyone kind of says that George is arrogant. He's this, he's that. For me, he's the heir apparent to the British throne, and I know that will upset Lando fans. But I think he is. I think he's a better talent, and I think you know what we what you saw this weekend was he was looking a bit downbeat because he prob he probably feels a little bit like he might have just bought a ticket to the Titanic, um, and he's on a you know a sinking ship in that sense. So yeah, I can understand why he was maybe a little bit, um, you know, melancholic, um, shall we say? But yeah, I, I think he's yeah, I, I like him. I, I I like the the edge to him. And I think we've forgotten we are 
or British. Can, can you tell? James does live in Paris, but he, uh, you, you're still British. I, I know this. I know where you were born. Um, however. It's a bit weird. It's only because you told me the other day. Um, but this is the f- first time since Button and Hamilton that we've had two British drivers on the same team. What, why isn't that being mentioned a bit more? Right, as as us as Brit F one fans, that that's cool as hell. Is it because it's a German team? Maybe. I mean, they're based in the UK. I kind of feel like Mercedes are a British team for all intents. I mean, they're a British company. The the, the F one team is a British company. Obviously, Mercedes okay, well, is not go. not British, but you know, the the whole of England should be behind this team technically. But uh, I feel like McLaren are like Britain's team. Yeah, they yeah. very much feel that way, and so are Williams but, as well. But yeah. it was exactly, and and McLaren have a British driver, whereas yeah, you cast your mind back ten years when you had Lewis and, and Jensen at McLaren. Who what were the who are the other British drivers in the grid? I don't think there was anyone as competitive or seemingly as strong a talent as the the guys we have on the grid who are British now. Mm. No, I mean, I, I totally agree. It, it's. It's incredible, and I think you know we just need to take a moment to just just let that sink in. Um, let's let's just go through the top ten, how they finished, because in fact the top eleven, and there's a reason for that. So Charles Leclerc won the race, as we know. Uh, Carlos Sainz in second. We have Lewis and George, the Mercedes boys, third and fourth. K Mag fifth. Wowzers! That is ten points for Haas. They they could, as Cal rightly said earlier. What did he say to me, Cal? What the, what what could Haas do now? Oh, so that was it. Yeah. So basically, they've got ten points already. They could literally not turn up for the rest of the season, and they've done better than they did last year. So, you know, good start. And the year before that, yeah, combined. <laughs> yeah. They they're third in the constructors. Who would have expected? Like a few days ago. Who would have put Haas third and Red Bull tenth after the first round of the constructors? Uh, in sixth, we had someone I never would have thought finished in sixth was Valtteri Bottas. Espan Ocon in seventh. Yuki, who seems to have improved year on year. I've got to give it to him. He seems like a more mature driver now. Uh, in eighth. Fernando Alonso in ninth. And Guan Yu Zhou. Sorry, God, I'm not going to get used to this. Zhou Guan Yu. Uh, tenth, which... Let's be honest, points on your on your debut in F1 in a car that that's pretty impressive. What do you guys think? We all think it's think, good. Yeah, right? steady. And I think the car's better than we expect as well. And also, you know, you could say that he inherited a point given Red Bull's misfortune. But when he was racing in the pack, you know, when Lewis was around him, he was composed. He was comfortable. He didn't look out of his depth. He didn't look, um, you, know, un- you know, uncomfortable in any way. So, yeah, I think he should be incredibly proud. And he, it was a brilliant first drive. He overtook Lewis Hamilton. I mean, okay, forget the circumstances of that, but he overtook Lewis Hamilton on his race debut. Uh, I'm not being funny about that. If I was down the pub tonight and I'd just done that, that's something I'd be telling my mates. That's a pretty cool thing to do. And yeah, the reason I said the top 11, Mick Schumacher. Why didn't he finish in 10th? They, they 
bottled it, didn't they, with the changing of the tyres under safety car. Maybe he could have clung onto it if... In fact, he was 10th when the safety car was going round. So with the Red Bull DNFs, he could have even perhaps been 8th if they'd have changed the tyres. So that's something they'll reflect on, hopefully, and maybe think twice about in the future. Yeah, it was a solid performance by Mick. I think the fact that K-Mag really outperformed him shows that Mick's got a lot to to still learn. You know, it was very easy to see Mick as a brilliant driver next to his old teammate. Um, but when you put K-Mag in the mix, it puts things into perspective, Cal. Yeah, you, you've got to remember as well is that all Mick knows of F1 is following up and being a backmarker. 19th, yeah. If anything, he's used to seeing blue flags and just getting out of the way. So the fact he's competing and racing with people will be new to him. I mean, there's there's no hiding the fact that last year's task was a bit of a dog, but it this impact from KMAG does make you wonder a little bit, was it as bad as, as we said? I don't want to judge from one race, but the fact that he's come in and immediately pretty much dominated Mick, who dominated Mazepin, maybe they weren't as bad as they looked last year. Yeah, maybe they could have had a few twelfths. Yep. Sam? See, yeah, that's the thing. I, I, One of my friends, just before we start recording this, said that he didn't rate Schumacher. He didn't think he was that good. Um, and that we would see that this season with, with Magnussen. I think Schumacher is good. And I think, I think it was Hungary where he had some really good moments last year where he was defending, when he was battling, because obviously the whole kind of order got flipped around by a Bottas going bowling. Um, <laughs> yeah. You mentioned that man again, yes. I'll, I'll come back to him in a minute as well. Um, but I think Magnussen is that good. I think people forget how good Magnussen is on his day. And no one on that grid would have been more motivated than Kevin Magnussen today. Yeah. Um, should we bring Grosjean back as well? Uh, no, 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 no. Um, guys, I thought it was a great race. I, I know that we all did across the F1 community. Um, we have... Sorry, James, did you have something just before? No. Okay. So we have two final things to do before we end this race review, the first one of the season. I have two questions for each of you, which is your driver of the day and your race rating out of 10 and a sentence as to why that is your race rating. So, um, Cal, I'm going to start with you. Driver of the day, I'm going to give to Kevin Magnussen. Um, I feel like he was my driver of the weekend, actually. I thought it was fantastic the way he's come back in and performed. I can't fault him, really. Um, race rating... I'll give it a 7 out of 10. I think there's more to come. Um, but it was a good start in the new regs. It, it could have been a disaster all round. It could have been boring, but it wasn't. So, yeah, 7 out of 10. Okay, good. Um, Sam, I'm going to come to you as I left you till last. Last time I did a round the panel question. So, driver of the day, I was toying with Yuki Snowder because he came through the field so well. Um, and... You know, well, but the reason why I'm not is because I think he likes Bahrain and we saw that with him getting a point on his debut last year. My driver of the day is Valtteri Bottas. <laughs> what? What? You're an idiot. No, that's because you, you've, you've had guilt from all of the previous podcasts you've done. Okay, sorry. 
I, I will not interrupt. It's Why? Not, it's, it's not a kilt. I think that the Bottas of old would have let his start affect him um, and he would have struggled for the rest of the race. I think that the pluses here were he kept his nose clean for the rest of it and he was fortunate with other people's results. You know, had had the, you know, Gasly and the Red Bulls not retired, it would have been a ninth. Still points, you know, which is pretty good when you compare to where the team were last year. I just think it's a shame because had he not started badly, it could have been it could have been a P5 at least. I don't think he would have been P4, but it could have been P5. Mm, imagine he'd beaten Russell, eh? And uh, Sam, your race rating out of 10? <sighs> it's a difficult one because I think it's always going to be remembered better than, than maybe it was because of the end. I'm going to give it a seven as well as Cal. I thought it started well. There were some good battles between Max and Leclerc. It died a little bit in the middle. But yeah, there's more to come. I think the reference point is higher than it was previously because of how good last year was. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. Um, and James, please can I have your driver of the day and your race rating out of 10? Absolutely you can. Uh, well, I was... I was torn a bit between uh, K-Mag and Charles and considering Cal's giving it to K-Mag, I think, yeah. It'd be an outrage if no one gave Charles Leclerc a driver of the day today. So yeah, he's he's mine pretty clearly. And yeah, I'll give it, uh, seven's about right. I'll give it seven and a half out of 10. I'll give it a little, little bit extra because this was the race that I needed to help me fall back in love with F1 after everything we've been through over the winter. It had a lot of action. There's good signs for what they've done to the sport this year. And <laughs> my dog just barked. Uh, no, your dog agrees. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, and yeah, that's it's uh, it's done a lot of healing for me. Why can I hear Marvin Gaye in my head? Um, okay. <laughs> Surely not that kind of... Surely not that kind of... Healing. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, I had a different driver before we begun this podcast, but on reflection, it's got to be Joe Guanyu. I think what a what a stable, solid performance from a a, a rookie. Um, he had to go toe to toe with Lewis Hamilton. Um, he was up in the mix, and he managed to score points on his debut season. When was the last time someone did score a point in their F1 debut. I can't. Probably last season when Yuki Sonoda scored a point in his F1 debut. And that's why we have a panel. Thank you, Sam. Um, <laughs> I can't remember what happened yesterday, let alone last season. I mean, um, I did say it like two minutes ago. This will be edited out, so. Yeah, solid performance in an alpha. Yeah, that, that's for me. And who is... Sorry, uh, what am I going? My race rating is a... 7.6 out of 10. <laughs> My race rating is a 8 out of 10. I thought, could I have predicted any of the results today? No, not at all. Um, it surprised me from start to finish. Yes, there were a few lulls, but James nailed it. This is what I needed to, to heal my heart. And over, what well, F1... Put us all through. 
So we hope you've enjoyed this race review. We're going to be doing another one in seven days from now because it is another race weekend. Where are we going next week, James? We are going to Saudi Arabia and the arguably dangerous Jeddah. Do you, do you guys think this will this track will live up to last year, or do you think we're gonna we're gonna be going? I think last year the track um, seemed better because of the drama that happened on it. So, no, no, I don't think it'll be nearly as good as it was last year. It was one of the standout races of last year, and that's mainly because of a man who is no longer here. Well, he's still alive, but he's no longer within the sport. Uh, Sam, do you think we're going to have fun next weekend? Do you think there's going to be results that we're not expecting? I think there'll be results we're not expecting, partly because we're into the second race of a, a new era and there's still so much to learn. But yeah, I agree with Cal. The track isn't maybe as good as last year advertised. I think it's an amazing track for the driver over one lap. You know, Max is... Q3 qualifying lap, had he not put it in the wall, I think would have been one of the best qualifying laps of all time. But yeah, I think it will be, I, I think it will be unpredictable, but I don't think it will be particularly entertaining in doing that, interestingly. And I think we have to leave it there. there. That, 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 I think we've covered it well. Um, Cal, between listening to this podcast and the next one, where can people go to read F1 goodness? Where where, where, where should people go for their fix? Well, FormulaNerds.com I hear is quite good. You know, I believe there's Formula 1, Formula 2, Formula 3, W Series. There's uh, some good articles on there. Probably worth having a look. Um, if not, check out our Facebook, our Instagram, our Twitter, or Twitter in particular, always has the latest news on there. So if you're crying out for a little bit of an F1 fix between now and Friday, have a look. And we're also going to bring you some audio goodness around Wednesday. Uh, James, what, what's that all about? Uh, on Wednesday, they will be able to catch myself, probably Sam, when Grace does something ridiculous to herself again. And Abby and Bridge on the News from the Nerds podcast, where, yeah, we'll run down whatever happens between now and then. Thank you very much for joining me today, James. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure's been all my own. I'm glad to hear it. Sam, thank you for um, maintaining your, your thoughts on Bottas, or maybe changing them. Yeah, I actually surprised myself a little bit. I was giving Max some credit, I was giving some Valfrey some credit. Uh, maybe New Year, New Me. That sounds like Max, that. Um, and Cal, thank you for sitting here for two hours after the trauma that you've been through today. And the hangover that you've got, by the way, because it was your birthday last night. Yeah, no, I'm really hanging out of my arse. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to next week. Hopefully I'll be in one better condition and in a better mood. <laughs> Hopefully. So, yeah, thank you. We will see you then. Goodbye. Network.